All right, here we go. This is Brian Deering, the head of high yield research at Ninefin. Today I'm sitting at Weil with three partners in the London finance practice. First, I've got Andy Hagen. Hi, uh, my name is Andy Hagen. I'm a partner in the finance practice here, focusing on high yield bonds, uh, mainly for sponsors. Thanks, thanks, Andy. And I've got Gilles Tierlink as well. Hi, morning. Um, I'm a partner in the finance team focusing on uh, high yield um, products, uh, balanced practice, with a split between the, uh, representing banks as well as sponsors and companies. And last but not least, Tom Richards. Hey, Brian. Um, thanks for the but not least. I am a sponsor finance partner here at Wild, leading on our sponsor finance practice, acting for a whole range of sponsors on new deals, but quite a lot focused on A&Es at the moment. All right. So I think first off, um, just at a high level, what we're going to be talking about today is liability management and what that means in the bond and the loan market. Specifically, we're going to focus on pre-stress or stressed companies and not distressed today. And I think this is a really interesting conversation to have right now as we're, if we're looking forward to the maturity wall that's coming up. We've got about $97 billion in 2023 and 2024 that's coming due. In loans, it's a little bit less with only $4.6 billion this year and $24 billion next year. But as we move into 2025, it's going to get pretty um, intense. So I think obviously 2020 and 2021 really helped. Everyone was able to push out their maturity walls. But I do think people are going to start thinking about this uh, quite a lot. So what we'd like to do is just talk to you guys about what people are talking about in the refinancing space. What are you advising clients on um, and what can they do to get ahead of the curve? Gilles, do you want to take it away and, and start? Sure, definitely. Uh, Ryan, as you indicated, a lot of that was issued and refinanced in 2020 and 21, which means that in bond land, it's quite common to have a five-year maturity. So I, th I mean, we're starting to have discussion with uh, issuer and bankside clients with respect to refinancing their debts, if not this year, next year, the year thereafter. With the bond instruments, I mean, we always, as part of discussions, flag to the surprise of some of our clients that you always need to issue debt, ideally at least a year before um, the maturity of your, your bond instruments, given that if you do it um, later than that one year window before the maturity date, you may have a going concern issue because of your long-term debt will be converted to short-term debt, being debt that is needs to be repaid within a uh, one-year period that may uh, I mean, give rise to some concerns for your auditors, potentially qualified audit opinion, which make it which may make it that bit trickier to do a consensual refi out in the market. So we're starting to have those discussions with our clients to see if they want to start the refinancing discussions right now, do some opportunistic buybacks um, in the bond markets, or um, if that is not a viable option, if they just want to address their cap structure in full, do an exchange offer, do a tender offer, uh, a combination, because for a lot of clients or potential clients that we're speaking to, given the volatility and in the market and how expensive it is currently, a full standard refi may not be something in the cards for now, and that is something to be done later on, or we can already address it with an exchange or tender right now. Um, yeah, and it, I think that's the main point is that, is that you know markets are not particularly conducive to getting a deal done at the moment, uh, and they've been volatile for an extended period of time, and it looks like that volatility may continue on into the future. Uh, and so I think one of the key things at this point is to start to talk to people about what their options are, what different types of transactions they can think about, um, sort of from the full spectrum of 
waiting to see what happens, but have a calendar in their head around when they would need to come to market, making sure that people are ready to come to market because for every day that the, that the new issue market is, is a bit closed, uh, uh, that means it's going to get more crowded when it comes time to actually go out and, and issue a deal. Uh, so trying to make sure that people are prepared, they're thinking about what they'll need to do to actually get a deal done uh, and, and are ready to respond at the right time. And I think also exploring all the other alternatives that are out there, maybe apart from uh, the public markets that they've been used to. There's certainly been a, a, a massive proliferation in alternative capital providers of one sort or another over the last yeah. four or five years. Uh, and so start to think about, you know, what's the right answer for getting it, uh, a refinancing done uh, as, as sort of maturity dates approach. And I think, I think a, lot, a lot of the same issues apply to the loan market. So one thing we're seeing people being very focused on is proactivity. So proactively managing cap structures. As you said, most of the 23s and 24s in loan land have been dealt with. Um, there are a couple of sort of well-known 23 situations that still need to be still need to be covered, but people have already moved on to dealing with 25s as well. And, and so to be proactive and prepared is obviously slightly less um, intricacies around when you can issue a loan versus a bond, you know, in terms of timing and financials, it's a little bit easier, um, but being ready to go when a window opens, no one really knows when these windows will open and when the market will be conducive to these transactions getting done, but you need to be ready. I mean, the other things that we've seen a lot of people doing in the background are the things that are less market dependent, you know, to Andy's point around private credit for sure. Um, staggering these deals, you know, if you've got big cap structures, doing them gradually. And I think we'll come on to talk about that in a little bit more detail. And then just thinking about your capital structure. What have you got? Have you got just some notes, just a loan? Unlikely, you've probably got an RCF as well. That needs to be dealt with. That's going to be relationship banks. That's not market driven. That's something to be dealt with early on. That will probably entail springing maturities of some sort because you'll find rcf lenders clearly don't want to be pushed out beyond term loans and junior debt and whatever else but there are ways to structure that so that you can still get it done before the rest of it um do you have junior debt do you have picks prefs all these kind of things need to be part of the equation and you need to have a strategy to deal with the whole lot and you need frankly in this market multiple strategies to deal with the whole lot because if you just got one you'll probably find that one won't be successful yeah, I mean, I think these are really good points. If we just one example in the market is Ketter, who probably had a little bit of difficulty last year, and then now they're, I think they're in um, uh, current debt phase. And so you have a little bit more pressure to get it done. And so I imagine that you're, you're definitely bearing that in mind when you talk to your clients. I think, yeah, you guys have pointed out a lot of interesting things about the transaction structures. So maybe we move into that and uh, we can start with, with Tom, maybe on the loan side. Mm -hmm. It's pretty common right now, I think, for people to do an A&E kind of transaction rather than something Absolutely. completely new. So what do you yeah, say? Yeah, so, so definitely A&E's, you know, new, mar new money market is, is not really there. You know, there's one big deal, kind of pre-war deal still to come. Um, you know, we've gone out for, on a number of new deals recently. You know, we're running dual options on everything or multiple options on everything, you know, private and banks. We've gone to banks for new money loan underwrites. They're just not there. Mm. Um, so to get an underwrite on a, on a, on a, some kind of refi, not possible, but very difficult. So yeah, all of the deals that we've done are best efforts A&Es. What does that mean? Well, the advantages are you're trying to keep an existing investor base in place. Um, you know, you're not trying to get new CLO or other institutional money into the deal. 
um, if the credit is good and performing and you're doing it far enough in advance, it, it should be should be a relatively straightforward process. Now you can, a few of the ones we've done, we have raised new money, but it's a small portion of new money in the context of the entire deal. The, the issues you encounter are, you know, the, the general consent threshold will be a structural adjustment. In loan world, that means essentially you need everybody to consent. Otherwise, anyone who doesn't consent gets left behind. There's, there's, and there's a nuance to that, which I'll come on to. Um, you know, you can incentivize people in certain ways, early bird fees, they're going to get increased economics, increased yields. Um, there are also ways in which you can, you know, the, the usual carrot stick scenario, there are ways in which you can try and incentivize people, but let's say in a negative way, covenant stripping and things like that. Those are techniques that get used and these guys will talk about it in the context of bonds all the time in the US and are seen as yeah. very legitimate. They are well, they have, someone has tried to test them recently and had significant pushback, so they remain unused in the European market. But they're illegal, you know, there's a different legal regime here. That answers some of it, but it doesn't answer all of it because the, without getting all legal and techie, the case <laughs> law on it, the main case that people look to for this had a very extreme fact pattern. And there are definitely ways in which we as lawyers have looked at scenarios and said, we feel very comfortable with that about that from a legal perspective um but it's more of a market driven thing the, the european market is much smaller there's five six seven key guys you need on every deal and if you upset them that may cause you issues um issues going forward that's more relationship based totally. rather than transaction based yeah so e even if the documents would allow you to do so question for a company as a sponsor like do you want to do it because you may need those people I mean, to help you in one or two years if you do a part refi, part mm -hmm. exchange. And I mean, some people have long memories. And, just, then, and in the US, there's just a bunch more funds. If those guys won't play, these guys will. And those, and, and just on that one nuance on the, so the way, and people are probably familiar with those listening may or may not be familiar with the concept of a snooze. A snooze is a loan consent um, technique, which essentially ignores people who do not respond on consent. Now, there are some documents out there that deem that a deemed positive consent. So if you say nothing, that's deemed positive, but those are in the minority, very much so. The one issue we have encountered on A&Es is that CLOs who are outside of their reinvestment periods are not allowed to positively consent, but at the same time, they are not dissenting. They do want to roll, they want to be helpful, they just can't say yes. So there are various techniques we found with the help of the sponsors and the banks and, and everybody on board to make sure that those people can roll, but without giving a positive, you know, tick in the box on the amendment um, consent. So that's been a kind of interesting, um, interesting development as well. Yeah, th that's really interesting. And I think actually it's a good segue because part of a, um, the change in the bond market that I was looking at is you have all of the ex these exchanges and I think a lot of them actually are uh, CLO driven in the sense you need to cater to your current investors a little bit more. Do you... Yeah, and I, I, th I think that when, you know, the, the phrase liability management is is very uh, sort of current at the moment, but it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, it can mean everything from, you know, sort of, you know, open market purchases, sort of line in the water types of things, just seeing if, if a company can can pick up a few bonds at a discount um, and, and reduce their, their leverage, or it could go all the way to some of the more sort of holistic or extreme uh, versions of completely restructuring uh, the capital structure. And I think that's one of the 
one of the challenging things for a lot of issuers at the moment uh, is is looking out and saying, well, which one of these things do I want to do or which one do I need to do? Is it worth my time and effort to put a bit out there and just see if we can pick up some bonds and sort of steadily reduce the debt load that way? Uh, do we need to do something more significant to push out maturities? Do we need new money for anything? Uh, do we need to recut our covenants in any way? Do we need to sort of overhaul an entire structure? Um, in in some situations, you know, or in a lot of situations, it's sort of single instrument. So a, a company will have a single uh, uh, bond outstanding. And so there aren't necessarily as many options there. You're either buying it back or you're refinancing it. Um, but we've certainly seen uh, situations where companies with sort of multi-layered capital structures have been able to move some of their maturities out, get some new money in, uh, and and really sort of you know be able to 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 move their maturity considerations much further down the line uh, to hopefully the the backside of whatever volatility we're seeing at the moment. Yeah. Gilles, did you want to add something? No, I agree. I mean, as, as Tom indicated in, in the loan lands, I mean, the way that CLOs can vote or not has driven some of the innovation in that space. I think the same has happened in in, in bond land, where whereas previously we saw just um, exchange offers. I think nowadays we also see like an exchange offer where, with a tender offer in parallel, where some CLOs that are restricting restricted from rolling to the same CLO will then tender. Um, with the old CLO and subscribe to the new money issuance as part of the new CLO. It's in fact, it's like some kind of synthetic exchange, but it's being done via a tender plus new money issuance. And a lot of these exchanges, they're not distressed at all. I mean, it's sort of the, the yeah. goal is to avoid having in those conversations sort of the coupons step up in a way you would expect them to if they were doing a new deal now. It's just a matter of moving maturities. Everybody wants the debt to stay there. People are happy to stay invested, uh, but you just need to, to adjust the time yeah. frame you're dealing with. Exactly. And then in terms of incentivizing your investors, I think the discussion nowadays in a non-distressed context is just economics. You could try to covenant strip um, to incentivize holders to roll into a new structure. But again, given in Europe, it's very much relationship-based and you don't want to offend some your investor base. I don't think that we've seen a lot of non-distressed deals uh, trying to do that out there. Yeah, and I think flipping this around over to the covenant side, it also seems like most people are just sticking with what they had previously or maybe a few minor adjustments or even maybe some investor-friendly adjustments. What are those conversations like? I think this 2022 also offered a lot more pre-marketing than we had in the past on the bond side. And so I think we didn't get to see any of the investor pushback publicly on our side, but I assume there were conversations about this. Um, what were those like? I, I think that in in broad terms, sort of the push and pull was, was much like it was, you know, sort of, prior, you know, sort of through 20 and 21. Um, it, it, it's not to say that there's been a complete redrawing of covenants or that things haven't changed at all, but in general, it's been the same kind of back and forth that has been, you know, sort of the way things normally work. Uh, again, the big difference is, as you said, it's the economics. It's just the pricing and, exactly. and sort of does it work for, for yeah. people to actually take the deal? No, I mean, based on what I've seen, it's similar to what happened at, I mean, at the start of the pandemic that certain investors were hopeful or the investor community that the covenants would be recut in a more yeah. restricted way to the benefit of the investors but unfortunately that's not what we've seen it was more discussion of economics and nowadays as well like there may be certain discussions around the marginal covenants 
but I don't think there's been much tightening uh, of the covenants. A lot of it is slightly more window dressing. It's like you're accepting certain points, but it's very much around the margin. And I'd say it's the same in loan land. I mean, if you look at the vintage of the loans being A&E'd, right, they're older anyway. They maybe don't have the most aggressive. I mean, you know, they're still people, lenders and creditors, I'm sure. If you go back 10 years, they're issuer friendly compared to that. But if you, you know, if you look at 2021, they're not that issuer friendly by comparison to those covenants. So we've seen in the A&E's, we've done very little pushback, especially from existing investors. You know, it's difficult for an existing to my mind, an existing CLO to say, I've been in this deal for six years. I'm going to get paid a load more economics for it, but I want to change some covenants and it's performing. Like well, it's very different if it's non-performing, obviously, but it's performing. Um, very difficult conversation with the sponsor to say, actually, I want to change a bunch of these things. We haven't seen that. Um, I think the new money guys coming in, if you're doing an A&E and you're either upsizing or you're having to replug a kind of small stub, you know, those guys, I guess, can come in and start asking. I just yeah, haven't but... really seen that. I mean, the two areas of focus in loan, in loan land, which is different from, um, from uh, well, you guys would would restart Corpro anyway, but is is around MFNs and Corpro. You know, MFNs, big focus of people to restart MFNs because most of them, obviously, if they had sunsets, which the vast majority do, well outside those sunset periods. And I think it's, you know, the, the recent volatility has really focus people's minds on that you know if you'd done a deal that had been been syndicated allocated in late 21 you know you've seen that you know this stuff got on the set on the same side that really focuses the sponsor mind as well because whatever however your mfm was structured depending on carve outs you're blown out of the water and if you're doing a small add-on onto a big deal and you have to reprice the entire thing that means you can't do the add-on. I mean, it just won't work. So yeah, I guess there's two two sides to it. It seems that the the length of the MFN might be getting pushed out a little bit, um, but also it seems like most of the time when we look at this, obviously we're reading the carve-outs as well, and, and there's some pretty hefty carve-outs. There are people more focused on that, right? For for, for obvious reasons, um, you know, I I still think mar margin only, but actually in this world, margin only is actually worse depending on how you've issued them, but. Yeah, the margin on these things hasn't changed a huge amount. The yield has exploded. Yeah. And so in this, this is slightly perverse. We always used to push for margin only on the sponsor side. Now, generally yields may be better if you have to have something. Yeah, when you have carve outs for things like acquisitions, other investments, clearly that neuters it somewhat. You definitely still see those, but definitely more pressure on them. Okay, okay, that's really interesting. Um, I, I had one other question that I want to ask you guys. You have a lot of conversations with sponsors, given Wiles' um, focus on sponsors. What is this, the conversation around injecting equity alongside these uh, refinancing transactions like? Is there? It's not. I mean, on a, on a performing credit, why would it happen? You know, when you're talking about stress or, yeah. but absolutely, I mean, it's not a conversation for a performing credit. Yeah, and I think that that's the sort of the key feature of sort of all these conversations that or a key aspect of a lot of the conversations people are having now is you're thinking about whether it's, you know, exchange offers or tender offers or A&Es in, in deals where you ordinarily, you, you wouldn't have thought about that. Like you just would have gone and done refinancing and it, it just would be fine. It's, it's sort of the, the backdrop of market conditions is really what's driving a lot of the discussions at the moment. Um, and it's, it's less around sort of how the company's doing, how are the sponsors behaving? Like, what do people want to do? It's it's more how do we navigate through a, a, a difficult market period? And if you're if you're over levered, if the viewers are over levered, if there's a rating is implication, if there's but absent any of those things, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't 
be called inverted. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's an important point you, you mentioned on the ratings. I mean, when structuring in Bondland, when structuring some of these exchange or tender offers, we're always mindful of structuring in a way that doesn't trigger any negative ratings impact. Mm -hmm. uh, a downside of pursuing a too aggressive strategy, be it exit consents, course of exchange offers, other than potentially having a ne negative impact on your relationship with your uh, financing sources, is that some rating agencies may see that as a a, a non-voluntary refinancing, a kind of a, a selective default kind of distress. So that's also something to bear in mind. I mean, bear in mind that we um, keep in mind when discussing with underwriter responses side clients is that we we cannot. I mean, uh, be on the wrong side of that of that line. And and that gets really tough because in in certain instances because you you want to make sure you get enough participation to make the whole thing worth it. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to get on the wrong side of that line and make it look like either the company's in more trouble than it is or the debt is less sustainable than it is or what, whatever the actual issue is. It's it's just making sure that everybody feels happy that sort of things are going to continue and, you know, we'll just be refinancing a few years later. Yeah, exactly. It goes back to our original point. It's very important to start as a company or a sponsor to start having those discussions with respect to your options, A&Es, exchange offer, tender offers very early on in the process because the more time you have, the more options you have. It's only when you're running uh, out of time that you have to, um, you may be forced to use more aggressive options, which can then have a knock-on impact on ratings, um, suppliers, whatnot. Yeah, yeah, that all makes sense. Well, Gilles, Andy, Tom, thank you very much for having uh, myself and Ninefin here at your office. Um, I'm happy to leave you with the final word if there's anything else you want to say. But otherwise, thank you so much for having us. Um, and hopefully our listeners enjoy this. Perfect. Thanks for organizing, Great. Brian. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Brian. Thanks a lot. And one more thank you to Brian and the team from Wild for another great episode. And to you, the listener, whoever and wherever you are, for tuning in. I'm Will Cager-Smith, closing out for this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to check in next week for a US-focused discussion. So we'll see you in a few days. Until then, as always, take care.